0: My name's Jesse, I'm the Washington campus pastor here, so thanks for being here. You ever find yourself in a similar spot to that? So you just kind of put on the spot, and then this like improv, you got to come up with a prayer real quick, not sound like a moron in front of everybody, and then for whatever reason, like we feel like rhyming is more spiritual, and so it's got to like flow well, right? We, we all get in those situations, don't we? We, we, we kind of have a hard time with prayer uh, because it can be so awkward. I think for a lot of us, we just feel like we don't know how to pray, and because we don't know how to pray, there's this awkwardness with it, it's uncomfortable, Uh, and just as a general rule of thumb for humans, we we don't like to do what's uncomfortable to us, do we? We just avoid those things. You don't know how to do it, you understand you don't know how to do it, you're just not going to do it, right? So with that, do we have any golfers here this morning? Raise your hands high. I'm not going to call on you for anything, all right? but I am going to judge you from up here. Uh, not that I hate golfers. I love our golfers. Uh, I hate golf though with a passion in my soul. Um, the, the reason I hate golf is because I'm no good at golf, right? I mean, first of all, look at me, okay? I'm like 6'4", 260 something pounds. Like nobody has ever met me and said, you must be a golfer. <laughs> that has never happened in my life, all right? People come up to like, did you play football? Or I've had little kids. Like, are you a professional wrestler? But never golf. Like, that's. there's been no mistake. All right? I hate it. I'm no good at all. And the last time I played was about five years ago. We went on vacation with some friends. We had a couple of other couples uh, we were in a life group with. We wanted to go out of town. So we go on this trip. The two other guys, the other husbands, are golfers. They love golf. They're really good at golf. A lot better than me at golf. And so when we get there, they're like, let's, let's go to a local golf course, all right? And they disguise it in love because they're like, we'll, we'll help you. We'll teach you. like Yeah, you will for sure. Like, they just wanted some added entertainment at my expense. I know how it works, all right? I, I, I know these guys. But I go along anyway, naively thinking maybe they'll help me with my golf game a little bit and then I can enjoy this pastime that so many people do. So we go, and we start playing, and uh, I'm, I'm not awful in the beginning, okay, but it's the first hole still, so there's room to go. And We're getting close to the green, and I hit this shot, all right, and the club I had was a little bit longer than this, like it could touch the ground, but I'm still, I hit this thing, and it soars over the green at a townhome and hits the front door of this house, and it was loud so now I'm thinking, that's embarrassing. Like, this is great. And the ball, like, drops, rolls around on the porch, lands there. So I'm, like, sneaking up as big, you know, as easy as a big guy can do. And I grab my ball and skimper off real quick. And I'm thinking, that was awful, but I'm going to keep at it here. Maybe I can learn something. So playing a little bit longer, don't injure myself or anything like that. So that's a plus. Uh, A couple holes later, though, I hit this other one. And this thing goes flying to another set of townhomes, all right? The neighbors. So I'm watching this thing fly, I'm thinking I hit a front door, what What next? And this ball goes right in between two brand new pickup trucks sitting in a driveway into an open garage, all right? So I nearly missed the trucks, but in my head I'm thinking, if those nice trucks are what's in the driveway, what's in the garage and what did I destroy? So, I get my huge ogre self in this little golf cart and putt over there cuz they don't go very fast whenever you're big, you know. Make it up and there's a guy standing outside holding my golf ball in the air like this, shaking his head. And then he hollers, "Is this yours?" And I said, "Yeah, yes sir, <laughs> that's my ball." So I I get up there close and he lets me know that not only did my ball fly in between the two trucks and into his open garage door, but the door from his house to his garage was open and my ball rolled into his living room <laughs> where he found it. Right? So now I'm thinking, all right, do I want to pack it up and go home now before somebody gets hurt and I really break something or do I keep going? I'm going to keep going. All right. You know, I'm, I'm just, that's my personality. So, We're playing, everything's fine, I'm not damaging anything, you know, nothing too bad. And we're on this one hole. I don't remember what number it was. I've tried to block this entire situation in my brain. But I hit another one, and I'm talking, I nailed this thing. Like, if the object of golf was just hit the ball as hard as you can, I would love it, all right? But the problem is you got to pay attention to where it's going. And so this thing is soaring out of my view, and then I hear a yell, all right? And this isn't like a painful cry for help yell. This is like an angry, I'm ready to tear somebody's head off, get in a fight kind of yell. So now I'm thinking, oh, great, this is a lot of fun. Like, thank you guys for bringing me along. So like, let me go figure out what I got myself into now. So I tuck myself in this little golf cart and put on over, and I go around this curve um, because my ball wasn't supposed to go that way, but it did. So I get around the curve, and I look up, and I see these two guys up in a tee box. One guy just standing there, average kind of Joe. The other guy, red face, steaming, mad, like smoke coming off the top of his head. And I'm thinking, that, that was the yell right there, that, that red-faced fella. So like, all right. So I get up, and as I'm rolling up, I'm thinking, maybe I can break the ice a little bit. So I just shout from the golf cart, hey, did you guys see a ball go by up here? And then the response from the red-faced fellow is, yeah, I saw it. And I'm thinking, oh, great, here we go. This just escalated a lot. So I keep on pulling over there, and I'm thinking in my brain, how am I going to get through this situation and not go to jail? But I get out of the cart, you know, and again, I'm big, and it's a tiny cart, so I'm just kind of like roll myself out onto the ground here. And I get up, and I'm walking up over to where these two gentlemen are, and the guy that was not angry, the other guy just starts cracking up laughing. Like bent over like just chuckling uncontrollably here and Mr. Redface turns and starts stepping like this the other direction away from me. So I'm like, "What is going on?" Well, then I get up there and uh Chuckles gains composure of himself and says, "Man, You hit that ball, my buddy was teeing off, and that thing whizzed right by his head. And he was so mad. I mean, and I can't go into the language this guy used in there, okay? He's talking about how he's just going to work this dude over. Whoever hit that ball at him like that is going to have it. And then my gigantic self rolled out of this golf cart and came up, and he decided I'll live to golf another day and didn't want to get into any kind of situation. So it worked out perfect for me in that regard. But after that, I was done, all right? I'm finished with golf, hung it up, Burn the clubs, whatever you do with them. Like, I don't want to go. I'm not interested at all because I'm awful, right? And I realize I am awful. I don't want to do it. I don't understand how. It's awkward to me. It's uncomfortable. And you know, for many of us, prayer is the same way. You feel the same way about prayer that I do with golf. It's uncomfortable. You feel like you don't know how to do it, you don't want to be in that awkward situation. And so you're sitting there in your life group, and it's about time to pray. And you're sitting thinking and then praying in whatever way you do know how, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. All right? And then it gets even worse because you've got like Sally Super Christian in your group too, who's got these crazy prayers that's like a direct line to Jesus, and angels are coming through the ceiling anytime she prays. And you're like, I ain't going after that. Like, right? Like, it's awkward. And in that situation, then you can't even ask for help. Right? You're not going to go there. You're not going to be exposed in that, that you don't know what you're doing. And so we don't. And unfortunately, our prayer lives suffer for this. And I've talked to so many people over the years that just struggle to pray. You want to pray so much, but you just don't know how. I even had somebody one time say, it would just be great if the Bible told me how to pray. So the good news for all of us is that it actually does. It's got some things really clear on prayer for us. And so over the next 4 weeks, we're going to spend some time breaking apart what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer. Jesus's model for prayer. So that we can understand and moving forward on how to do this. So you can find this in Luke 11, right? That's where we're going to be. Luke chapter 11. We'll just start right at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying. His disciples are just so taken back by the way that he prays and talks with God that they say, Jesus, teach us how to do this. And then he goes on from there in Luke 11 with this Lord's Prayer. He lays out this model for them on how to pray. Now, no, this isn't some sort of like incantation, all right? This isn't like we say these things in this way that Jesus did and we, God's going to give us what we want or something like that, all right? It's really more of a model of prayer. So the Lord's Prayer isn't as much an example of what we should be praying, but it's more of how we should pray. He lays a framework for us here. So but what we need to do is we need to kind of back up a little bit here and do a little bit of defining real quick. So what is prayer? So simply put, we're going to define prayer as communication with God. That's it. Prayer is communication with God. When you think of prayer, all sorts of things can come to your mind, right? There can be the kneeling down prayer. There can be the eyes closed, hands folded prayer. There can be eyes open prayers. There can be prayers in front of groups like this. You can raise your hands whenever you pray. You can use super spiritual King James language when you pray and beseech thine Lord on the highest of heaven, right? Or you can get, like, super charismatic and jazzed up whenever you pray and get fired up because you're talking to Jesus, right? Like, all of these things come to our minds. And you know what? All of these things can be great. All right? And I would encourage you, you pray in all ways biblical. This is communication with God. And it's communication both talking and listening. And now that listening part is the piece that we struggle with, right? Like, hearing God's voice. Like, how do I? How do I do that? I'll give you the secret. It's real simple. You learn to hear God's voice the same way you hear anyone else's voice. Time and patience. So if your best friend called you up today from an unknown number, you answer that, you hear their voice, pretty quickly you're going to recognize that that's who that is because you've spent time with them. You have a vested relationship there so you can recognize their voice. It's the same thing with hearing God's voice. It takes time and patience, but we've got to give ourselves a little bit of grace with this to communicate, to talk, and to listen to what it is that God's saying, to interact with Him in prayer. So why take four weeks to go through this? That's a lot of of talk time for you, right? I mean, why should we spend so much emphasis on this? Why is this prayer thing so important? Well, first of all, God wants us to pray. Look back at that Luke 11 real quick there. Check out verse 2 this time, though, after the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, when you pray. So Jesus didn't say, if you ever happen to pray, or if you think about praying sometime, he said, when you pray, there's an expectation here that we're going to do this. And this is all over the place in the scriptures, but check out a couple of other verses. In Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, this is an easy verse, you you could memorize this this week. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Don't stop, because prayer is communication. So do you have a relationship with anybody that you don't communicate with? Whenever communication ceases to exist, the relationship ceases to exist. So God wants us to pray. He wants us to talk. He wants us to listen because that's what fuels this relationship for us. He wants it. The second thing that's incredible to me is that God hears us. If you are a Jesus follower, if you are a child of God, God hears you. Think about that for a second. The living God hears you. Look at this in 1 John, 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That promise right there is for some of you here this morning. God hears you. You've been crying out to him, you've been praying, you've been praying and praying and praying, wondering, is this going past the ceiling? And if you're a child of God, if you're a Jesus follower, he hears you. He hears your prayers and they're valuable to him. So then we get to the big how question, right? So I think, by and large, you're, you're here with us, all right? You're in the room, you're watching online, and it's because at some level there's an interest to know God, to know Him more, to connect with Him. And so this, how, how, how do I do this? Maybe you're wrestling with that. I just don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to do it. Well, that's what we're going through. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning And three weeks after this, breaking apart this Lord's Prayer that Jesus laid out for us. So it's found in a couple of places. You can find it in Matthew chapter 6 or in Luke 11. And so Luke 11 is where we're going to be this morning. So again, Luke 11 verses 1 and 2, These same verses that we looked at just a little bit ago. Read this with me, all right? So I want everyone, you get your Bible out, it's on the screen. We're going to read this all together in here, all right? So now's now's your chance to, your time to shine. Here we go. I'll lead you and you come along. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, before we jump into breaking this verse apart and going a little bit further, there, there's something we need to understand about prayer and about communication because prayer is communication with God. So we communicate with different people in different ways based on our understanding of them and our relationship with them, right? So think about it in your own life. There's different people that you are going to communicate with differently. So up here, is, we've got a picture of my wife, all right? I was super fortunate, and she made a bad decision that stuck. So, so there are certain things that I'm going to say to my wife that I am not going to say to any of you, right? Like I'm going to confess my undying love to her in a way that if I did to you would not be appropriate at all and would probably get me in a lot of trouble, right? Like I'm, it's just not going to happen that way because of that relationship there, right? There's things that I'm going to say to my wife. I'm going to ask my wife this morning. All right? I'm going to ask my wife. I go in and I say, do these jeans make me look really fat? <laughs> now, I asked her that. I didn't ha- I'm not going to ask you that because I'm insecure. I don't want your feedback about that. You're going to be brutally honest with me, all right? I know I need to lose some weight, all right? But still, I'm going to ask her that. And she's going to tell me lovingly, like, no, your jeans are fine, but your shirt looks like it's tie-dyed. Like, really? So she's, she's going to tell me that, all right? We're not going to have that conversation with anybody else but one another, Right? Or sometimes you just put your foot in your mouth with your spouse, right, in a way that you never would with anybody else. So, whenever my wife was pregnant with our firstborn, Logan, uh, about her third trimester, this interesting thing happened. I don't think it happens often with, with women in pregnancy, but she got a little emotional. So, I know, I know it's kind of shocking. But, so she's having a rough, rough go of it one day, you know, like stuff just doesn't fit, all of that. But she's, she can't get her hair fixed right. Right, And her hair's a, a big deal for her. She's got great hair, you know, all that stuff. And she's trying and trying, just not getting it right, getting frustrated, getting worked up in the bathroom. And so me as a husband, communicating with my wife the, on, the way that I would only communicate with her, think maybe I can help the situation. So I, I go in, I look her in the eyes, you know, as lovingly as I can, and I say, Babe, you're pregnant. Nobody cares what your hair looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody warned me on that one, right? So there's things you say to different people, and there's things you say once to different people, and it doesn't go to anybody else ever again. It didn't go over well for me, but I, I talked to my wife different than I'm going to talk to you, right? Or your kids. I've got two boys, so Logan and Lincoln, we'll throw them up there, all right? They're a blast, but whenever we had kids, there was things we started saying that we never thought would come out of our mouths, Okay. And there's certain things that you can say to your kids that you can't say to anybody else. So, like the threat, I brought you in this world, I'm going to take you out. You can't give that to anybody else. Like, that's a privilege to parents to be able to say that, all right? But that's not going to work anywhere else. There are some of the ridiculous things that have come out of our mouths. Like, don't eat your animal crackers between your toes. (laughs) Never thought I'd be saying that one, right? Or stop peeing on the shower curtain, okay? (laughs) Okay? Never came out. Here's what's funny is I did see a couple of wives earlier, like, nudge their husbands on that. Like, like it should be only for the kids, but you guys, you all work that out, right? Or like that picture there, can we keep a duck? Or you can't keep a duck if you catch one. Like, they're just in their minds. Like, these things come out, and we never know that we would ever say that to any human, right? Or there's different types of people we talk to, right? Like, we've got this next one here. We've got some millennials. There's things that you're going to only say to millennials. This is going to get me in trouble, I'm sure, but that's fine. If you're upset, you can email me at pastorjake at greatoaks.church. Let me have it. All right. We'll say things to these folks, right? Like, yes, adulting is hard. Or yeah, your fedora matches your skinny jeans. That's great, right? Like Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Actually, <laughs> so, We've got to learn to laugh. So Here's the point, though, all right? You communicate with different people in different ways. You'll talk to your spouse one way. You'll talk to your kids another way. You'll talk to your parents a different way, neighbors, friends, employees, employers. We communicate differently with different people. And so because of that, it's important for us to have a clear understanding of who it is that we're talking to when we communicate with God in prayer. I mean, we're about to get before the living God, creator of everything. There's some weight there. Like we should feel a little bit of reverence, maybe even a little anxious coming before him with the way that he's described himself. I mean, look in in his word. I'm going to show you just a few verses, all right, of what God's word has to say about who God is. So Psalm 8, 3, and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Look at how huge the universe is. All the stars, all the moons, all the planets declare the glory of God because He spoke them into existence. Look at this, Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah ten, verses 12 and 13. It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mists rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Or Revelation 1.8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. That's who we're communicating with. He doesn't work for us. He's not some genie that we conjure up. He's not this big butler in the sky at your beck and call. This is the Lord of heaven and earth, the living God that spoke everything we know as reality into existence with no beginning and no end. All-powerful, all-knowing, the one who graciously lets your lungs fill up with air as you sit there. The living God. That's who we're talking to. How do we even approach him then? I mean, how do we even go about starting communication with that? Look back at what Jesus has to say in Luke 11. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father. Like we can approach this perfect, holy, righteous God as Father? Like maybe that was something that Jesus just meant for him whenever he prays to God, because he's the perfect son. But if you look at the verse again, that doesn't hold up. Because he says, when you pray, say, Father. You see, God has given this incredible opportunity and, and privilege for those that follow Jesus to become His children and address Him as Father. But we have a hard time with that. Most of us struggle with this idea to approach God as Father because we all will view God through a lens of our own fallen fathers. As great as they are, their imperfection distorts our view of who God is and how we relate to Him. And so think about this for a second, okay? If God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to identify Himself as our Father, okay? And if we have an enemy, which the Bible makes very clear that we do, That wants to steal, kill, and destroy, would it not be an incredible strategy of that enemy to work as hard as possible to distort our view of fathers, to distort our view of God? Would he not go hard after fatherhood to cause us to look at a blurry lens? I mean, look at, look at some things that I, that I came across, some really interesting statistics going on in our world. So, According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, that's more than one in four, live without a father in the home. No father figure in the home. Look at this. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. And 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. Fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, and four times more likely to need help with emotional and behavioral problems. Now understand me. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the role of mothers in any way. You have a significant role. And those of you that find yourself in the single parent role, understand that that's a unique position and you do all that you can. That, that, that's what I grew up in. Right so so i I, I get that, and my, my heart goes out to you in that, but we're looking at fatherhood specifically because that's how God has chosen to identify who He is to us. and many of us have a real struggle when it comes to this idea because our view of Him has been tainted by fallen fathers. So what I want to do just briefly is look at four types of fallen fathers, okay? Now, this isn't all that there is, but there's four categories that I think by and large most of us have experienced at one level or another and that the enemy has used to grab a hold of and somehow distort our view of who God is and how we can relate to Him through these things. So the first one is the absent father. This is the dad that just wasn't there. So either absent entirely, just not in the home, that's, that's the situation that I grew up in, uh, or absent, you know, emotionally, maybe physically there, but just checked out. So maybe your dad worked really hard, long hours, and came home and was just kind of done, just, just checked out from things, not present. And the absent father causes you to view God in that same way, that he's far off, that he's not near you. What's the point of trying to pray or reach out to him? Because he's not around. He's not interested. He just took off. Then there's the abusive father. And my heart breaks that anyone would have to experience that. That physical, emotional, verbal abuse goes on way too much in our world. And those that have had to go through this end up struggling with a view of how God is. That it's so easy to grow bitter or cold or hardened. And you're set in bondage because of a fallen father. Then we have the angry father. This is the one that's just short-fused, mad, yelling all the time. You're just walking around on eggshells trying not to get things too fired up because you don't know what that's going to be. Maybe not quite abusive, but just you're scared to be around. And in this situation, you can identify real easy with the wrath of God. Like you can see him like that, right? But this loving, patient father in heaven, that's, that's hard. That view is distorted because of this anger. And then the fourth one is the apathetic father. And I think this is probably the one that most of us experience by and large. Maybe he was there, but just didn't, didn't seem to care, whether it was just wrapped up in his own career, his own advancement, his own hobbies, but just not interested in you, not interested in what you were doing, not interested in any of your accomplishments. Maybe you're just one of those that never heard. I'm, I'm proud of you. Good job. Just apathetic to it all or wrapped up within themselves. Listen, our Father in heaven is none of those things. He's not absent. He's not abusive. He's not angry. He's not apathetic towards His children. And we've got to fight to keep a right view of who He is and who He says that He is and not let things be distorted by this lens of fallen fathers that keep us from being connected to Him, from communicating rightly with Him, and experiencing the life of prayer that He wants for us. So what I want to do is I want to take you to one verse in the Old Testament, right? Tucked away back there in the Old Testament books, you just skip right over whenever you're reading. All right, one verse that can be an anchor for you. I want you to write down you to try to memorize, write it up, put it up somewhere to remember. Because I think this one verse God can use to destroy these lies that we've bought into from fallen fathers. It's in Zephaniah, all right? That's a real book there in the Old Testament. Zephaniah three seventeen. Here's what it says. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's a rich verse. Look at that. You know what that verse says? It says that your Father in heaven is present, not absent. He's with you. Regardless of how you feel, if you're a child of God, if you're a Jesus follower, He is with you. Look at this. The Lord your God is in your midst. And when you were far off because of your own sin, He came and made a way through Jesus to bridge a gap to be with you. You can approach Him like that. Your Father is present. Look at the next statement there. A mighty one who will save. That sounds anything but abusive. Your Father in heaven is a protector, a rescuer. He will save. And He's demonstrated it. He sent Jesus to do that very thing to rescue us from the pit, from ourselves. You can trust Him. You can rely on Him. You can count on Him. He's going to protect you. Let's keep reading. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. Does that sound like an angry dad? He doesn't say that He'll quiet you by yelling over you. He'll quiet you by His love. Stop thinking and feeling like your Father in Heaven is mad at you all the time. If you're His child, He's not. Your Father in Heaven delights in His children. He actually enjoys you. He's not mad. You have to walk on eggshells around Him. This last statement here, this, this is the one that's just incredible to me. He will exult over you with loud singing. God singing, loudly singing over you. That's not apathetic. That sounds ridiculously affectionate. Your Father in heaven is affectionate, not apathetic. He wrote a song for you that He sings over you. Let that sink in. That's crazy to me. So maybe this morning, you ask Him, God, what, is that, what does that even sound like? Give me some grace to hear that. That will change things for sure. If you're His child, He's interested in you. He loves you. He enjoys you. And it's so important for us to see God rightly. That we don't buy into the garbage of our enemy and these lies these lies that keep us from communicating with them right. Because we communicate with different people in different ways based on our understanding of them and our relationship to them. So if we see God rightly, that changes things. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down, all right? (laughs) We pray from a revelation of who God is. We pray from a revelation of who God is. And if we have a true revelation of who God is, it will revolutionize the way in which we pray. I mean, if you are convinced, if you know that the living God that spoke it all into existence and that holds it all in his hand is your loving Father, if you're convinced of that, you're unstoppable. That changes your prayers, and your prayers begin to change things because there's a confidence there that that's my dad. And you say with more confidence than any kid on the playground, my dad can whip your dad (laughs) because it's rooted deep. It's who he is. It's what he says of himself. So ask yourself this question, right? And this is something that you can put up in front of yourself and constantly check your heart and check your mind. But if you were totally confident that the living God, creator of it all, was your loving Father, how would you pray? My challenge to you then is to start praying that way. And when you do, You'll see these blinders come off and levels of freedom that you never experienced. And you'll be a people that know how to pray. So if you would pray with me. As we're praying, I just have, a, there's, a, there's a couple of different folks that I have in, in mind this morning that I, I want us to be praying for. First of all, is as, as we're talking about God is our Father. That's, that is a special privilege for those that are God's children. And so if you haven't ever given your life over to Jesus completely and said, I give you it all, I want to be in your family, then the reality is, is that you're, you don't interact with him that way. But God wants to change that. So I would encourage you this morning. We're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to have prayer partners on the side. Go talk with one of them. You're not going to be pressured in any way to do anything. Just ask him, what what does that look like? What does that mean to be a part of his family, to interact with him as my father? And then some of you, you struggle with this idea of God being your father. And there's real wounds deep inside And I believe with a great deal of confidence that God has freedom for you, even this morning. So ask Him. Ask Him where you're at right now. Get with one of these prayer partners in just a moment and ask. Ask God to give you grace to not have a distorted view of Him from a fallen father. So Father in heaven, that's, that's what we ask. We ask that you would help us to see rightly wouldn't be based on our feelings or our past experiences, but we would see you for who you say that you are, the loving Father that we can rely on, that's with us and for us. So give us grace this morning, we ask in Jesus' name.